This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two just magnificent people that I happen to know, Tia Vasilio. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm very excited to talk to the both of you, because I haven't talked to the both of you in a little bit of time, because I've been off the show and all over the world, uh, well, mostly just into Michigan, but, you know, I'm back. <laughs> two weeks in a row, I'm back. And, uh, you know, let me ask the question I ask every single week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I've been great. I'm very excited about comic books right now. I finally read issues one and two of Mary Shelley Monster Hunter that I've been um, sitting on for a couple of weeks now. Um, this is cool. by Aftershock, and the writer is Adam Glass and Olivia Cuertero Briggs. Um, art by Hayden Sherman, letters by Sal Cipriano. I don't know why I didn't just add this to my pull list immediately. Um, the entire <laughs> arc is out by this point. Um, that's five issues. The trade is probably available. I haven't checked yet. Um, but the last issue came out in August, so chances are pretty high. Um, oh, dude, yeah. The art style on this is a little bit less refined than what I'm used to. Um, so that took me it took me a little while to get into, but it really does work for like the dark horror overtones of the story. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like the writer really trust the reader to have some backstory about Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. And there was this whole summer where she was hanging out with like Lord Byron and Percy Shelley at this mansion. And that's where the story starts is at that mansion. And then it turns into like this grave robbing horror show. <laughs> um, issue number one okay. ends on a twist that I immediately made me interested in the rest of the series so then i was like well how many issues of this have i missed and the answer was all of them (laughs) (laughs) Um, but she ends up not at this mansion a little bit of spoilers (laughs) but it just it goes off in a completely unexpected direction except that of course it's still mary shelley it's still kind of in the frankenstein um mythos i suppose um Issue number two was a lot of backstory about what happened before issue number one opened and why all of this other stuff happened. So that took a little while. Um, It felt like it went on for most of the issue. That's probably an exaggeration, but I feel like it could have been broken up a little bit with some like current present story line. Gotcha. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Yeah, Hayden Sherman um, is also the he's the artist on a book called Thumbs that is coming out right now from Image, and also on Wasted Space, which is my sci-fi love that I can't believe I wait I slept on until I got like the first six issues and I my brain exploded. Um, I it's interesting to I just googled it while you were talking. It's interesting to see him work on something that's not like sci-fi or kind of weird and out there, and instead to see something a little bit more grounded, like a you know story about real people, although. Mary Shelley is a monster hunter wasn't a real thing yeah. <laughs> that we know of but still like to see like him kind of focus on a more down-to-earth story it's pretty interesting yeah that's this is a really great season to be reading a sort of horror book um with it's raining it's cold there's pumpkins everywhere yeah right right, right. uh well, what about you Tia how have you been uh, how have comic books been um well I'm in full like oh it's New York Comic Con next weekend. I should probably get ready for that <laughs> yes, mode. Same. So, um, a little bit frazzled comic book wise. And um, for some reason, I thought it was a good time to like get new bedroom furniture and rearrange everything in my bedroom. And that meant that I unpacked some boxes that were literally just sitting in the corner for like a thousand years. Um, and they turned out to be comic books. Oh, nice. And I was like, yay. I thought these were in storage, but they're here. So I was kind of just flipping through them, the ones that I had down here. And I was like, oh, I think I never finished reading My Pretty Vampire, the Katie Skelly book that I bought at Heroes Con like two Heroes Cons ago. Um, And I think I had started reading it and then like, you know, traveled home and just never and like forgot to finish or something so I finished reading that and it is so good I love Katie Skelly mm-hmm. it 
it's kind of a like super sexy 70s horror movie vibe, which is very her aesthetic. If you are familiar with her work, she uses like a very minimalist style, um, no shading. You know, it's just very like clean outlines, very edited color palette. And even though her artwork is so distilled, I wouldn't necessarily call it simple because she's able to really convey complex ideas like sexiness or loneliness and you know you do pick up on nuances in the story even with her really pared down style which mm-hmm. uh, I think just you know speaks to her talent as an artist and as a storyteller and so the story of my pretty vampire is there's this vampire named Marcel and he kind of is like keeping his sister Clover she would say hostage. He would say he's like protecting her. She is also a vampire. He actually had her turned into a vampire because he's kind of obsessed slash in love with her. Uh, she does not appreciate this sentiment at all. And so she escapes him and kind of goes on a bit of a killing spree. He doesn't let her drink human blood. And so, you know, in the great like vampire uh, tradition, she's, you know, like animal blood really isn't enough for her. And she's really uh, craving human blood, but she has never really been taught, you know, how to be discreet or things like that. So she kind of goes on this killing spree and Marcel hires like a PI to go hunt for her. But then also the like, you know, the like vampire people in charge, the Volturi, whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They like also go looking for her and they kind of decide like they, they like the, the cut of her jib and are going to like let her do her thing. And, um, so the book kind of ends with her having her autonomy and deciding that she's going to spend her days sort of making her brother's life miserable from afar, which, I thought was super tragic because like, you know, this is a book about the ways that being objectified really warps your sense of self and makes you incapable of, you know, functioning as a, as a person or looking out for yourself or like engaging with the world on, on terms that are um, healthy for you and create like a meaningful place for you in the world. And so, she kind of never breaks free of that. Like she's totally unmoored as a person, even after she's free, she's still going to define her existence by her relationship with her obsessive brother, you know? Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. thought it was kind of like a tragic horror story at the end of the day. Well, that's, I mean, the the question is, though, did you enjoy the book, though? Because I think, like, you can end up in tragic horror endings and still say, you know, this is a pretty good read. Oh, it's How a beautiful book. It? Yeah, it's a really beautiful book. And mm-hmm. it's just super, uh, like, luscious, you know? It's pleasurable to look <laughs> at. It's very minimal on dialogue. Like, it's, you know it's a really good example of like a minimalist style doesn't mean flimsy story. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or substance. It's great. Yeah. Katie Skelly's art. Every single time I see it just floors me like her, her maid's book that she put out pretty recently. Yes. um, Or it's being collected. I think I'm so excited. I'm so excited for that just because it, her art style is so like, fucking cool to me like it's like it's something that i see from a distance in like an art museum just like god that was so cool i wish that i lived during the era that it was being created and it turns out it's right now but i can never put those two things together in my head i i've always loved the way that her art looks especially i mean because tia you turned me on to her stuff and i've been floored ever since like i like i follow her on all the social media platforms just to get little bits and pieces of that stuff it's so cool it's like you know the cool kid at school seems like they're never trying hard but they're always so much cooler than everyone else i feel like that's her art style absolutely that is a perfect definition (laughs) how about you mike what are you reading this week uh yeah so i've uh i've had a like a weird week of ups and downs and dungeons and dragons and all sorts of busy things that I didn't intend to. Um, and so I didn't get a chance to read too much, but I did sit down last night and read this book that I picked up 
on a whim just because I really liked the cover. Um, it's a, it was a graphic novel that I think I must have gotten for super cheap or something, but regardless, it's beautiful, beautiful book. Um, it's called Shangri-La by Matthew Bablé. It's a translated, it's a French book that's been translated over to English, um, and it takes place in this far distant future, maybe not far distant future, but, you know, four or five hundred years in the future from present day, um, where humans live in a space station controlled by one corporation because we as humans destroyed our ability to live on Earth, and so we fled to the stars, but we really couldn't flee too far because imagine if we had to live in space in like 50 years from today, you know, what would we actually do? We couldn't go to another planet. We'd have to just stay in near orbit of Earth, and so that's exactly what happens. These massive, this one massive space station orbits earth um, and the people live these incredibly materialistic blissful lives where this corporation determines what's interesting what's hot they're throwing new items at you all the time just to keep your attention grabbed Um, everyone works a job that's not great but it provides you with um, you know corporate bucks in order to buy new corporate things that pay for people who make corporate bucks and the cycle continues forever Um, they're there are scientists in this uh, space station that are trying to create this new species of life. Um, not humans, not animals, something brand new from scratch is the way they define it. And they want to send them to Titan, the planet um, that orbits Jupiter, in order to like populate this planet and become God, essentially. A lot of ideas floating around in this. And we so we follow this character, Scott Peon. He's this worker who's torn between multiple factions of life. When he, uh, he works for the big corporate company doing investigations on these mysterious scientists scientific anomalies that are happening at little like tiny orbiting satellites that are around earth as well as around the space station um he meets with some people that are in this rebellion and who want to rise up against the corporation but even within the rebellion there are uh, factions like sub factions that some think it's violence some think it's subversion of the system um there are these downtrodden people these animoids that are like dogs and, and cats and different animals that are just humanoid and they're like the downtrodden people who are treated lesser because they aren't human um and there's there's this thing with his brother that's going on and there's so much more like there's a lot of themes and concepts being tossed around in this 221 page book um the art is spectacular uh matthew bublé he does a stupendous job of like using color to depict emotions and sections within this space station. Um, whenever someone goes out into space in a spacesuit, it's normal, like a, a standard color palette. Um, there's no heavy reds or greens or blues or anything. It's just the earth and space and everything is okay. And when you're inside the space station, depending on what layer of the space station, whether it's working or it's a domicile or it's the corporate headquarters or whatever, they all have their own color palettes to kind of give you a mood as to how you should be feeling about the characters within. Um, I I really enjoyed this book. There was a lot of coverage of different, different things um, like this the rebellion, the multiple rebellions, the multiple storylines with characters and and different subplots that all culminate in the final few moments of this book. Um, it's really, really impressive, really interesting. The opening is a big twist on the end. I was really impressed with just like the whole book coming together, um, but it felt like it jam-packed so much into it. Like a couple of the smaller threads were lost um, and maybe could have been removed to the book in order to give a little bit more breathing room for some of the major plots, but uh, Beble had a lot of commentary and I fucking love books that just don't give a shit and just say, here are all of my ideas about society. Um, and here's what, you know, what happens when we human beings don't care because we, we take this apathetic conformist feeling and say, you know, what, what can I do? I can't do anything. I'm just one person. Um, and here's what happens when, when that things go wrong, when you have that mentality, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. There was like a lot going on in this book, but I really enjoyed it. Um, and it, I, I don't know why I picked it up. I honestly, it's been sitting in my library for maybe a month or two. I must have just picked it up on a whim. Uh, and yeah, I dig it. I dug it quite a bit. So if you're looking for a, you know, a bon dessinée that is really interesting, this is a cool sci-fi book. I mean, French French comics in a lot of ways do sci-fi in ways that bend your mind. This is why The Fifth Element kicks ass because it's, it's created by a French guy who just it's like, you know, fuck this. Here's my whole weird world. Um, I think this is exactly what Shangri-La, Shangri-La is. And yeah, the title of the book is revealed in probably the last like 10 pages of the book. I love it. So, you know, fun stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I, I have a whole thing. I think I want to do an, ep- an episode that's all about like bon dessinés. I think we we really need to because we talk about them every once in a, once in a while on the show. But um, I the the way that I think French creators approach sci-fi is so distinctly different than the way that we do it in the United States and even in Japan. Um, it's it's worthwhile of a whole discussion just about like French sci-fi. Somewhere, uh, that's- Kara just perked up. Yeah, I know. Kara's ears just started to burn. I honestly think Nick would also be really into that because I know he he wants to be like, oh, I'm a super cool guy and I read a bunch of like French and Belgian comics and whatever. But I think that would be a really cool episode to put together. So I'm going to put that on the docket. But uh, let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week. Comics are dropping on October 2nd, 2019, right before New York City Comic Con. What are you both excited for this week? Uh, let's start with you, Tia. Well, the final Wiktiv trade is coming out that day. Rip. Yeah. So I'm somehow more emotional about that than the last issue. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just like, oh, nothing's going to come out after this ever. Actually, no, that's not true. They're going to have the hardcover, I guess. I was going to say, there's going to be the hardcover and then compendiums, I'm sure. (laughs) Maybe because we're going to have the wake on saturday so it's so maybe it just feels like it's the last trade and then like all the people are going to be here that like the next day and so it almost feels like a a real wake it is a real wake yeah there's a, a wicked and divine after party i guess or a wake for the wicked and divine that's happening on saturday during new york comic con at night and t and i are gonna be there and we're going to be crying and stuff. I think I might make Kelly put a bunch of eyeliner on me and stuff Yay! to go, go super goth. <laughs> and then you can like dramatically and artistically like have big black alligator tear- tears roll down your face and soak into your beard. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, that'll be fun. I, I mean, I'm, I'm also excited to kind of reread this series. I think this last arc needs like i i think i need to reread it and i'm glad that we're talking about the topic we're talking about today um but uh yeah i i man yeah i guess when that trade comes out i'm gonna have to finish my collection and actually get all the trades because i have the first two because i also in the single issues but i've been getting the trades slowly i'm like i should just get all of them so that i can sit down and do a big reread i somehow have multiple copies of many of the trades because i don't know why I am like this. Uh, but okay. yeah, like I also am really anxious to get the trade because it will complete the f- the like fade to black. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I think Kieran posted a picture of that yeah. on Twitter where oh, it looks so cool. It looks does look so cool. cool. Okay. Uh, Kate, what are you excited for this week? I'm excited for a book called Are You Listening? This is from First Second and it's by Tilly Walden. Um, this is marketed for fans of Speak and and We Are Okay. So I'm expecting a, a background of like, sadness and sexual assault. Um, oh, <laughs> right in the description, it says the duo embarks on a long drive to nowhere, but strange happenings, some whimsical, some terrifying, seem to follow them no matter where they go. And I love books about physical journeys. Um, mm-hmm. So and I do and I do love the book Speak. Um, as sad as as it is, I have like watched the movie and I've read the the comic book adaptation, um, and I've seen I've read the book a couple of times. These books just leave me thinking about them for days, and it's mm-hmm. something I'm probably going to talk about quite a bit after I read it. Um, I really hope that it lives up to my expectation of first second at this point. Tilly Walden seems to have a couple of other books that are a little bit more autobiographical. This one doesn't seem to be quite as autobiographical. Um, but if I like this, I'll probably check out more of her stuff. Yeah, Tilly Walden is a incredibly talented graphic novelist. I I don't know how else to describe it, but yeah, she's she's done some pretty solid stuff. I, I just uh picked up on a sunbeam for uh Xander as a gift and I paged through it as it was sitting on my shelf for a bit and Man, that book looks fantastic. This is crazy sci-fi stuff, which is super cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let, you have to let me know because, I mean, first, second, one, that's killer. And two, I think Tilly Walden's made a name as being a pretty stupendous creator. So I hope it's good. Yeah, first, second is just putting out great things, one after another. I, I, everything I've read by them is great. This year has been super solid for them, I think, in terms of books that have come out. It'll be really interesting to see what the Eisners next year look like for them. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, for me this week, I'm excited for, uh, I got to do it. I got to do it to you. 
House of X number six. Uh, this is Jonathan Hickman, Pepe Larraz, with, Mar- with colors by Marty Gracia. Um, this is part one of two of the end. Um, you could basically just uh, pay, play a sensor noise here if I were to say anything, because uh, we're too deep into any of this for me to actually discuss what's going on without massive spoilers. Um, but the thing I will say is that Hickman has definitely written a massive check that I am very worried he won't be able to cash. Like, the hype is so fucking real on this book um, and huge that I don't know how he's going to nail the landing for issue six of Powers of X and House of X. And we get to see the beginning of the end this week. And maybe we'll get some full review. I've talked to maybe a handful of people about what the actual thing of this book could be. Um, Something around Moira McTaggart, which has been kind of the background focus in a weird way. Um, And we'll see how it plays out. We're going to find out this week. I'm I'm very worried and excited. So (laughs) I I can only say that. But yeah, let's take a second, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about something we kind of mentioned already. What are your favorite comics to reread, or if you don't reread comics, why is that? So let's take a second, and we will be back to talk about that. For our show this week, we are talking about the question of do you reread comic books or what are your favorite comics to reread and if you don't reread comics why is that i think between myself tia and kate we have a general consensus as to what we do but um let's let's talk about that a little bit i guess starting with you kate like do you reread comic books and which one are your favorites to reread i do reread comic books i feel like any more I try to only buy things I think I'm going to reread. Now that I'm a library person and I don't feel like I have to buy everything that I read. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but I do find myself rereading. I've read I Kill Giants probably once a year. Um, I've reread Paper Girls probably a, three or four times at this point for different mm-hmm. reasons. Like, I feel like it takes an outside influence to make me reread something. Like, either maybe the next arc is coming out or we're doing it for a book of the month on Goodreads. Or I've reread things before just because I've recommended them to somebody and I knew I'd want to talk about them once that person had read them. So so I reread mm-hmm. them. Um, and I find myself rereading the same creators somehow. I didn't put that together until I was writing up notes for this episode. But I'm rereading um, Descender by Jeff Lemire in, in preparation to, re- to read Ascender for the first time. I've reread like six books by Brian K. Vaughn, Runaways, Paper Girls, Saga. Um, I was really impressed by Cry Havoc by Cy Spurrier. So that kicked off a, a Cy Spurrier fascination for me, I guess. I've reread mm-hmm. Cry Havoc, Inspire, and I think Angelic, maybe. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, Tia, do you have the the same kind of thing? Do you do you reread books that like to like that you recommend to people, or is there like a, a book that's like your mainstay, where like every year you've got to come back and reread something? A little bit of both. Yeah, I recently sent someone a bunch of trades that I thought they would like. They don't really read comics, and so I did reread those before I sent them. Because, yeah, like Kate said, you want to talk about them. And also, you just kind of want to make sure that your instinct is right, I don't know, before you send it. like, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I reread stuff a lot, and part of that is because, like, I'm usually reading for a specific thing. And so, if I'm sending a book to someone, I'm reading it and thinking about, like, how are they going to be seeing this. Whereas, you know, if I'm reading Wicked, for example, I might be reading it for, you know, narrative and story at one point, and then looking for literary or pop culture references in another reread. Like, it just helps me to have kind of a, a main reason, like Kate said, to be reading a, a book. Because the first time you're just kind of absorbing the big picture. Gotcha. I mean, that's interesting because I I rarely reread books. Like I listed some that I have, right? Like um, X Men Legacy by Cy Spurrier. I've read probably three or four times all the way through, and it's not long. It's you know it's four volumes, but like every once in a while, I kind of need a kick to remind myself, like I don't know what makes some of the some X Men stuff that I really like great. And every time I read it, I find like weird bits that I don't like and other stuff that I didn't catch the first time that I really did like. Um, but 
Um, I, I feel like I only find myself rereading books when I want to remind myself of like really complex stories. Like Wicked, Wicked and Divine is the perfect example because I'm constantly uncultured, unfamiliar, unable to keep details in my brain type person. <laughs> and so reading Wicked, I like... I have to go back and remind myself of like the intricacies of the character relationships and who they are and what they represent. So as I'm reading the book, I'm Googling like who actually is this deity? What is Kieran trying to pull out of this thing that probably I don't get because I'm just not as familiar with this stuff. Um, and so, you know, like that book and East to West are the same way where there's just very intricate storylines going on where maybe some of the plot points don't hit or some of the minor stuff doesn't hit the first time or two of reading it and so going back to reread it really helps refresh it and really instills it in your brain and kind of like makes it makes it a book for me that I grow to love a lot more than like just my first reread or first read I should say because a lot of the times the books that I have to go back and reread or want to go back and reread are books that I'm so excited for their issues to come out that I like blaze through them and go cool I got it and it turns out I didn't get it (laughs) so like when I go back and reread that arc you know I'm like oh now this actually all clicks more than it did the first time I read it you know there's only so much you can absorb in a single read totally and um that I think with comic books especially there's also the visual component and so you're trying to absorb the narrative but I think that there's so much that the artwork contributes to the storytelling and the mood and the character like you know it's almost an another additional layer that you have to read for specifically and a lot of the comics that I tend to prefer have uh really strong artwork that has a a lot to contribute and so sometimes I'll reread books just to look at the art really closely Totally. I mean, I think what's what I wish I could do, right? In an, in an ideal world where I didn't have to work, you know, a 40 hour work week or whatever, um, and, you know, have all these other darn responsibilities of life, you know, you could sit down and actually like read a comic, take notes, maybe write to yourself about it a little bit, um, really digest the book. Um, I think. I think that's even possible with, you know, like a a person's busy life. Um, The problem is there's just so many goddamn comics out there and you want to read a lot or there are many things, you know, that just happen to all hit at the same time. You know, four of your favorite creators drop books in the same month and you're like, how do I actually dedicate time to fully process these books without um, overstressing yourself? Um, Not that comics should be stressful by any means, but um, some, some books do have a lot of deep story or really deep, like, uh, things they're trying to say and maybe you just don't have time to actually fully absorb it on like a, a read or a second read or even a third read um, just because you've got all these other things you know in that you're also reading as well as dealing with in life and things like that. I definitely found that um, when I reread Eleanor and Egret for, for some outside reason that made me reread it. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, in terms of the art, it turns out that almost every character in Eleanor and Egret has an animal companion, and I didn't see that until the second or third time that I read it. And it and it is important to the story. I mean, like all of these animals do have a reason that they're there individually, and I did not pick up on that. Could you remind me what this book is? I know the name, but I am blanking on this this book completely. Um, yeah, Eleanor and Egret is about this woman. And, and her egret, which is a flying bird, that go and steal pieces of artwork from museums. And so she's like this master of disguise and her egret feeds off of this artwork. So the size of the egret changes throughout the book. But, you know, she, she meets a man and the man has an animal companion that I'm not remembering at the moment. But the animal companion is, is as important to the man as the egret is to the woman. And then everybody that you see in the background, all of the secondary or tertiary characters also have animal companions. And it's a very sweet gotcha. book. And I really enjoyed the story. And this woman who broke into museums with her pet, quote unquote pet. <laughs> um, and of course, I just blazed through it the first time I read it. And then, you know you reread it and you pick up all of these other things, all of these subplots, all of these extra characters that you were just ignoring the first time because, you know, they're animals. I thought they were pets. They're not just pets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that this kind of discussion, this question goes a long way towards uh, the argument that it's simply ridiculous to think of comic books as a, um, 
like a, a frivolous medium or just a, a throwaway kind of thing that you buy uh, that they've come a long way from like being printed on newsprint and sold at the grocery store. And mm-hmm. I think that like Kate said, I don't really buy books if I don't think I'm going to reread them. Every book on my shelf needs to be there for a reason. It's almost like, um, you know, having friends that you want to hang out with again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's certain books that I read, especially um, like Simon Hanselman's Megan Mogg books, which I just reread. And in fact, I am constantly rereading. I realized I always have one on my bedside table, like at my bookshelves and then mm-hmm. things that I'm like actively reading are on my bedside table. And there's always a Megan Mog book there, partly because those are easy to pick up and like just flip through and read a random story. Cause a lot of it is um, like short stories, yeah, but, yeah. but there are certain characters that I just want around, you know, mm-hmm. like I'll reread the Loki, what I call the Loki trilogy, just the Journey into Mystery, Young Avengers, Agent of Asgard books. Like, I'll read those just because I'm like, I miss those people. Or like, um, I don't know, like Hawkeye makes me feel that way too. Or Fonagram. It's like, sometimes you just want to hang out with the characters. The Winter Soldier, there's multiple runs of the Winter Soldier where I'm just like, want to hang out with Bucky, you know? Mm -hmm. That's that's a really interesting way to put that. I think... You know, I mentioned the the Simon Spurrier X Men Legacy, and that's that to me. Like David Haller in that book is, he's kind of an asshole. I should say not kind of. He's a humongous asshole, but that doesn't make him less likable as a character, at least for me, because his whole problem is like one that, for some reason, I find myself relating to of like this ability to say no one controls who I am but me. And he, as a character, is very much defined by the idea of, uh, you know, his his dad is Charles Xavier, so he's supposed to be the son of Charles Xavier, except he's David Haller, and he's fucked up so many times. You know, he's the one that went back in time and created the Age of Apocalypse. All these, all these bad things that David Haller has done as a character, Legion has done as a character, um, is, is what is defining him, and he doesn't want that. He wants to be this savior. He wants to show that he can do good, despite all of the wrong that he's done. No, not saying that I've done a lot of wrong in my life maybe I probably have who knows but like that that whole thing with wanting to say like the the bad choices I've made in my past don't define who I am today is something that like I really grasp with that character for some reason like I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago or 15 years ago or whatever and uh, I, I don't want those things to define me not that I, I think people do but like I really love that idea and so going back and, and reading that character saying like no I rule me I am like the only person who can choose what happens to me um, is a really strong thing for some reason I really fucking love that book guys I can't tell you how much I love it but I, I like that sentiment to you of like going back and in seeing people like in their who they are like and how they're written is like a really comfortable thing um that can remind you of like good times bad times or whatever of like familiar feelings that maybe you don't get um otherwise plus Megan Mog on the you know it's just a super fucking easy book to read oh my god <laughs> I think I, I don't know if I told you when you I think you at one point it, you, it was on the like Goodreads book and I picked up and I was like oh I'll you know I'll read a couple short stories and then the book was done and I borrowed the next one on Comicsology Unlimited and got halfway through it like because it's so just entrancing those it's characters so and everything about it uh, and yeah, I, I would say, Simon, all the stuff that we said about Katie Skelly and, um, you know, before the break, that all applies to Simon also. I know I've talked about how, like, Mog's pupils are literally black dots. And from one panel to the next, Simon will move them like a fraction of a millimeter. And it changes the whole, like, it just tells a story in those two panels. And that's the only yeah. difference. It's like, yeah, some artists and some characters, they're just as, there's so many layers to them. You would be doing yourself a huge disservice not to go back and reread and just allow yourself to focus on one thing at a time and you really absorb, absorb it a little more fully. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that was something that I, I really liked about the Doom Patrol series that Paul and I did on Patreon was like, I sat down with those volumes in multiple sessions between each episode to make sure that I was picking up on a lot of the stuff that was being like written in the book. Cause those, those books are fucking wild if you haven't read them. And 
I, you know, forcing myself to reread some book, some issues that were rougher than others that I didn't like as much, or the ones that I did like a lot, um, really helped me appreciate the characters and understanding like some of the subtlety of the story, um, and plus taking notes the entire time. Kind of like I said, I loved being able to sit down and really make my brain stretch just beyond the surface level of reading the book. Um, that unfortunately I don't get a chance to do to as do as much. Um, but yeah, like just just being able to study the book such a different experience than just kind of reading it and enjoying it for what it is um, on like a surface read. Uh, not to say you can't go and deep into it, but I think like your first read, I think Tia, you mentioned this, is not going to be the same as your second or third or fourth because you're going to start seeing a lot more um, because as the, the surface level stuff becomes familiar to you, you can actually look deeper into the book. And I, I wish that I had more time to do that. I find that I've started to at least re-skim a book that I know that we're going to talk about on the show, like if we have a guest or something like that. Um, because, yeah, like the first time that you read it, you're just reading for the story. And then if you reread it a second time or even just like skim through it immediately after you finish the first time, you do pick up like threads of subplots or um, pieces like significant things in the art, whether it's like maybe a a tonal shift in the color scheme or something like that. For example, like Cry Havoc. <laughs> Cry Havoc has three different storylines and they have three different color schemes. And I did not pick up on that the first time that I read it somehow. Oh man. Aren't okay. they literally three different colorists? They yeah. Three different colorists. Yeah. We just blew Kate's mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure there's three different colorists on that book. I remember that being a thing. Yeah. I guess yeah. I just have to read it again. <laughs> oh, <well. laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah, see that that's like uh, yeah, that 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 book. Oh man. See that almost makes you think I should go back and reread a book and reread that book because man, there was there was a lot going on. Like I remember the three colorist thing just blowing my mind when they first talked about it. Not that we don't see multiple colorists on books, but I think the intention with Cry Havoc was, you know, we're going to let these colorists kind of flex their muscles in their pages that they get rather than saying, you know, it's all got to stay to this one style. It's like, no, when you have your pages, you do your thing and we'll let the book like work with it. And I think that ugh, such a cool idea, such a fun idea. Yeah, with that one too, there was a lot of back matter about where the writer and artist pulled inspiration from all these different mythologies around the world. And they mention that if you look in the back if you look in the background of this and that panel, you'll see um, pieces of this or that monster from these different like cultures around the world that are not American. And of course, the first time that you read through it, I'm not looking at that stuff. Um, so I read the back matter and then you flip back through and you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. That's really cool. So then you read it, um, you know, cover to cover the second time and you're looking for that stuff now that you know that it's mm -hmm. there and you pick up on some other things that they didn't comment on. Yeah. And this is actually where I think good comics uh, reviews, not journalism, not I give this eight out of 10 stars, but critique kind of reviews are mm -hmm. really, really important to readers and to comics in general because you you read these these analyses and they kind of give you the roadmap and then you can go back through the book and follow that roadmap and see those things for yourself and um like panel by panel if if you guys are not subscribed to that you definitely should be because that's probably the best example of what I'm talking about in terms of analysis rather than I recommend this as in terms of journalism and and critique and, um, you know, no, the, the whole idea behind a community of, of crit critics is that no one person can see every context or see every thread. And so you kind of crowdsource what you, what, what stood out to you and then you share it with other people and they can have their experience enriched by yours. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I I didn't even consider that. I think I I I do enjoy reading reviews like critiques of books after I've read them, right? I think maybe there's maybe I have a misconception of like some of those things exist to say whether or not you should go out and buy it, 
right? This is where like advanced reviews of things come out. And this is, I think, more of the eight out of 10 from, you know, whatever website um, where people are like, should I buy this or should I not buy this based on reviews? And I know that, you know, people listen to this show for stuff to say, you know, should, should I pick this book up on Wednesday? Should I, should I pick up this book that maybe came out last week or two weeks ago? Um, should I subscribe to it? Should I grab the trade? They'll listen to us and hear, talk about it and they'll go, oh, maybe I will. Um, but I think that I, I'm of the opinion that like reading those in-depth critiques of books after I've read a book um, only enlightens my reading of it, even though I'm not reading it alongside reading the critique. It like highlights those things maybe that I did miss, or maybe I interpreted in a different way. Um, and just hear someone else's interpretation of that thing is really, really cool. Which uh, I guess brings us to the question of, are there books that you've reread that maybe you had like a nostalgic past for a book that you read maybe 10 years ago and you revisited and you were like, Oh man, this, this is not the book that I thought it was. Or you had like a, a totally different reaction than the first time you read it. Are there any books that you guys can think of like that? Um, I'm go ahead, Kate. I was going to say sailor moon, <laughs> the manga. <laughs> oh really? Um, I've also tried to revisit that show and not that it's not still enjoyable on some level, but I feel like when I was originally um, watching and reading this, I was in a totally different place in my life. Like the knowledge that there were like powerful women that were still feminine. Um, they had this big group of friends and, you know, some of them had different relationships. This was all like not really a common thing in the media that I was consuming or that was available to me. So the fact that I mm -hmm. found this story meant meant a whole lot and now that i'm an adult and i can like i have other things to compare it to and i have other sources for those stories and maybe a little bit more um in depth um ways to get that influence into my life it's just not the same to go back <laughs> and read sailor moon now <laughs> okay okay I mean, I guess for me, when I was a kid, I read ElfQuest, and I actually give ElfQuest a lot of credit for being accessible to younger audiences, even though there are some more mature themes that run through that book. But, um, you know, reading it as an adult, you defi it definitely hits differently. You identify with different characters, and uh, there certainly is a big difference between, for example being confronted for the first time with examples of like polyamory versus once you're, you know, like a, a jaded adult and you've like, you know, had some relationships, you've seen your friends relationships and just like, I don't know, there, there maybe is a different uh, kind of color to, to some of those things versus when you're sort of like, Oh, this is a new, interesting idea. Gotcha. Yeah, especially if it's a book or a story that uh, introduces you to those concepts, where that might be like your example for the longest time until you read other examples of those things. I think, oh, that's an interesting thought. I didn't even consider that. Because I, I, I think a lot of the bizarro concepts that I've read came from like prose, prose books, you know, like the idea that you don't have to be subscribed to a religion came from a prose book and blew my mind growing up in Midwest Michigan. Um and, uh, but like, I, I, I like that. I, I didn't even consider that. Hmm, now I have to think really hard about this because I was going to go a totally different direction. Uh, but <laughs> if only because I, I realized that a lot of the books that I liked when I first was really getting into comics are really violent and brutal in ways that now me being like this adult who's seen a lot of that stuff and a little desensitized to it kind of goes, man, is that super necessary? Like, is that, did you have to do all of that just to get across a point? Um, yeah. Like, for instance, the the Ultimates, or, I mean, give you the, the ultimate example, which is Crossed, which I loved to death <laughs> when it first came out. D don't get me wrong, like, the first volume of Crossed, even as someone who was like, yeah, give me the most extreme shit out there, was like, fuck, I'm a little sick after reading that book. Um, nowadays, I'm, I don't even want to look at that book. I don't even want to c consider what's inside the pages of that book, so because you, I know... You don't want to do a mini-sode, then? Yeah, I mean, you know what? I totally would. I would go back and reread the original Cross series to discuss it. But um, I know that I read beyond that and I saw some of the fucked up shit that was going on and I was like, nah, this isn't for me. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't stomach it. I think that was yeah, no. 
I think that was one of the books that I considered picking up from you when you moved and you were trying to get rid of some things. And I was really surprised <laughs> that you were into that and you had so much of it. And I was like, Mike, this is the kind I, of thing I only... that you read? That's, yes, that's the thing. When, <laughs> that's, yeah, go ahead, Tia. I think when you're a kid, you don't necessarily... Like, part of it is that you read these things in these fictional settings and they feel very firmly fictional to you. And then as you become an adult and you realize that all of those horrors actually like are based in real horrors that are inflicted on people in the world yeah. in some way, uh, I think it makes it a little harder to stomach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I you know, I bring up Cross as like the most extreme example. Um, because that wasn't like a book. I didn't start reading that till a little bit, like I was a little bit older, like maybe 22 or 23 or whatever. But like whenever that book came out, I don't remember how old I was. But um, the, the other book that I was thinking of is like the Marvel Ultimates series, like the first two volumes of that that Mark Millar did or Mark Miller did. And the thing that really got me is like how brutal the Captain America character is in that book. And in a certain way, I was like, fuck yeah, like Captain America is like representing this kind of like strength of America. And I didn't necessarily see it as patriotism so much as I saw it as like, this dude is doing what is supposed to be right um, by, you know, Americans and helping people in the, around the world. And going back and revisiting that, Captain America is just a big asshole. Like, <laughs> that's all I can consider. And I think maybe I've been pampered and, and like my mind has changed a bit as I've read a lot of other Captain America books where Steve Rogers as a character isn't that brutal because he realizes that violence, while can it is necessary in some cases for him, um, isn't always the way to solve things. You know, sometimes it's all about actually bringing things to the to the, the rules of law and, you know, due process and all that stuff. And I, I end up Think I think that I end up liking that side of the character more than like the I will punch this problem until it goes away, which is what Mark Millar's version of this or Mark Miller I can never say his name right. Um, so it's it's interesting because I I look back at those and I remember I have very fond memories of thinking what a kick ass humongous story that he told. But some of the characters were a little bit more extreme than I I think I want some of my superheroes who are supposed to be the quote unquote good guys in a lot of these stories. Um, so, I mean, I, I did reread this Ultimates run, and I, I remember feeling that as I was reading it. This was like four or five years ago. But, yeah, it's 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 bizarre. Tia, I think we got to do a crossed mini so just because I know we both have been scarred by it. Yeah. <laughs> so, when we're feeling at our most mentally stable, we'll sit down and destroy ourselves for 45 <laughs> minutes. Sounds good. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't know. I, I guess the, when it comes to rereading comic books, I, I put this in the notes. I'm like, I, I don't think that I reread a lot because I don't have a lot of time. But I think, you know, even after this discussion, I feel like it's something that maybe I should do more often with books that I really care about. And that I, especially the ones that I want to recommend to people, I I realize that I, I think I understand the grasp of a lot of books that I read maybe just once um, and then hand them off to people and say, oh, I think you'll really like this. And I think I've had this situation where they, I've been surprised with their reaction to go, yeah, that wasn't a book really for me when I was so certain that it was going to be. Um, I think I might have to take some advice or pages out of your, your guys' books and maybe read those books before I actually hand them off to people. It's funny. <laughs> maybe that's the responsible thing to do. Like, I actually think I reread books because I don't have a lot of time. Because I'm like... Really? Like, I'm going to just waste my time on this book that might suck, or I could read this book I know that I love already if I have, like, a few minutes to read a, a, anything, you know? Gotcha. So you, like, kind of limit the, the fire hose of new comics every week and say, like, maybe I'll let one trickle in a month max or something like that. You got to versus... really convince me. Right, right, right. And I, I think I, I think that's the sane way to approach things. Because <laughs> yeah. I think my, my big thing is a lot of the times I'll see new number ones and be like, oh, let's try all this stuff. But like you said, there's no guarantee that it's going to be super solid. But like there is, there needs, there, I guess what I'm getting at is there is room for like maybe bringing one in if you can get a super solid sell out of it, right? Normally it would be like, do I trust this creator? Gotcha. Gotcha. Or is it, do you also take like recommendations from like, not necessarily even friends, but maybe other creators that you trust to say like, this creator likes this mm, book, sometimes. maybe I'll try it. Sometimes, if they're friends. Okay, okay. Interesting, interesting. Uh, but yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I think that, uh, 
yeah rereading because you don't have time <laughs> it's like it that breaks my brain i kind of like it yeah, I think ultimately I reread things because I know that I enjoyed them so much the first time, but my memory is really mm-hmm. bad. Yeah. So I want to reread yeah. them to like refresh my memory and re-experience that. Yeah. And that's, hey, there's I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'd be curious to know what the folks out there who are listening sit down and reread, because I know a lot of people out there have pretty humongous pull lists. Um, I'm curious to know if you still find time to go back to the books that you've um, you really enjoy or maybe books that you want to get a better grasp on and what those books are and why. So please make sure to email us or tweet at us and stuff and let us know because that's always, I'm, I'm always fascinated. And I've said this a million times on the show, always fascinated about how people read their books and why they like the books that they like. And I think this is new, why people like the books that they reread. Like what is the thing that draws you back into a book? Because I'm, I am very much the type of person that I, I've said it before, you know, I don't reread a lot of books because I feel like I get a grasp on it. And if I reread, it's like kind of rehashing and I get almost impatient with the book um, unless it's something that I've, it takes some time off from and come back to. But I'd be really curious to know what the rest of you out there do to reread your books. So let's, uh, I, I, do you guys have any final thoughts on rereading books? Because otherwise we can wrap up. I need to go reread some more books. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Uh, yeah, solid answer. Cool. Well, um, you know, you can always follow us all on Twitter. That's where you can tweet at us. You can follow Tia at Portrait of Madam X. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier, and you can follow me at Mike Rappin. And the show is at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, where we tweet all sorts of stuff. And we'll respond to you. And I'll accidentally respond as if it was my personal account all the time. <laughs> I do that to people, and I hope people realize that it's me. <laughs> You can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. Without your support, the show would not survive. Join now for access to exclusive audio, which is mostly our book versus book series right now. Articles, previews of the IRCB schedule, early access to the top of my pile posts and more. Our Goodreads group is a lovely group of comic book friends and we have weekly threads. This week's thread was, is the best horror comic Rex needed? A library is in need of horror recommendations which sounds perfect for me to go check out you can check it out at ircbpodcast.com slash goodreads head over to ircbpodcast.com for our pronunciation guide our discord server zines merch and everything else ircb and if you haven't already please rate and review our show uh you know i'm not telling you what to do but like the five stars they're right there um, on <laughs> itunes and beyond and we'll read your review on the next episode we have over 200 episodes and we would love to have 200 reviews you could also email the show to tell us what you think what you've been reading give us recipes corrections i don't know cat pictures whatever you've got ircbpodcast at gmail.com that email now works i realized that it wasn't working for the last couple weeks Now it's working. Uh, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Make sure you check out their latest album that just dropped recently. Xander is a high wizard, a fantastic dungeon master, and a really good friend. He also edits the show. I want to say thank you to Tia and Kate for being on this episode. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you. Bye.